The reading is taken from Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 36 to 41. You can find it on page 796 in the Church Bibles. You are saying about the city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back, into, back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that they all will then go and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make them an everlasting covenant with I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them into this land with all my heart and soul. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, normally, as uh, you know, here at this church, what we will do is we'll make our way through a particular book of the Bible in a sermon series, or uh, from time to time, we'll sort of have a thematic sermon series. But right at the start of this year, I'm going to give a, if you like, a one-off um, sermon uh, at the start of this year, at the start of this uh, decade. And the passage that I've uh, chosen, that Nikki just read for us, might seem a little strange, a little obscure. So let me at first explain why I have chosen it. Uh, about 10 days before Christmas, um, someone in the congregation emailed me, and they wrote as follows. They wrote this. They said, whenever I pray for the church at the moment... I always have the same verse, so I thought I'd share it with you. It's Jeremiah 32, verse 39. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. And this person went on to say that this was the verse that God kept on reminding them for HTC when I did um, the Vision Sunday talks on the early chapters of Jeremiah back last September. But also she felt God guiding her to pray this verse just the last month as we've been preparing uh, for this year and particularly preparing for the changes that we're implementing in the morning services starting today. And what was so encouraging about her email was that that very same day, unbeknownst to this individual, I happened to be working through the book of Jeremiah in my daily personal times of prayer and Bible reading with God. And that very same day, I had got to the very same bit in Jeremiah that this person had emailed me about, Jeremiah 32, verse 39, which when you think about it, is quite something. Out of all of the Bible, she emails me this very verse that I am reading that day in my quiet time with God, and it is a sort of particular, you know, it's a pretty obscure verse, isn't it? It's not John 3.16. And she finished her email by writing this. She said, that is my prayer for 2020. And I thought, that's a good prayer. 
It's one that I should be praying for HDC. It's one I would love all of us to be praying for this church, that as God's people here at Holy Trinity Clapham, we might be given a singleness of heart and action so that we will always fear God and that all will go well for us and our children. And so I thought, let's speak on that verse at the start of this year as I am now doing. Now, there is a danger of taking a single Bible verse out of context So let's, first of all, I'd love us just to understand the context of this Bible verse and particularly the problem that these verses that Nikki read, the problem that that God is solving. What is the problem that God's solving? Well, have a look at the first verse she read, verse 36. Let me read it. It says this. It says, you are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. So the city is Jerusalem. The year is around 600 BC. And if we look at just a few verses earlier in the chapter, we can see why Jerusalem is going to be attacked by the king of Babylon. And many of the people of Jerusalem are going to be carted off into exile in Babylon. Just look up to verse 31 and see what God says. He's speaking. God says this. He says, verse 31, from the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they've done. They, their kings and officials, their priests and prophets, the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, they turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their vile images in the house that bears my name and defiled it. And so it goes on. Now I hope you can see there how those verses... They tie in with all the ways that we have rightly been being challenged as a church family through God's word over the last few months. As we looked at the early chapters of Jeremiah when we had Vision Sunday and as we went through the book of James in the months leading up to Christmas. This sense we've been thinking about, about the need for a reordering of our hearts. Where like God's people back then, we have turned our backs to God, we've run after so-called other gods, where we have been double-minded, we've talked about that a lot, where we've been double-minded with one foot on God, but one foot on the world. We're trying to follow God in one direction, but also trying to follow the world in opposition to God in the other direction. And this double-minded idolatry, that we read it was prevalent back in Jeremiah's time. There's that fascinating phrase in the bit I just read there, where it talks about them and it says, they, they turn their backs to me, but not their faces. So they're trying to go two ways at the same time, aren't they? They're double-minded. They're trying to go two ways at the same time. They turn their backs to me, but not their faces. Uh, those of you who are of a certain age, you'll uh, remember the Mr. Men books. And uh, Mr. Muddle. Uh, Mr. Muddle, one of my favorites. Mr. Muddle, there he is. He is trying to go two ways at the same time. That is the people back then, but it is all too often us as well. Now, the idols, the idols may have changed today, but the hard attitude is still exactly the same for each of us. Our problem is our hearts, they are double-minded. They're going in two opposite directions, and our hearts are in need of a reordering. Uh, To give you one example... Uh, There was a fascinating article in the Times earlier this week uh, written by the columnist Claire Fogues. And uh, she's speaking about how the the 2010s, the last decade, how they'll be remembered. And she says, actually, they're going to be remembered far more, uh, not about Brexit, but the last decade is going to be remembered, she says, as the decade of disconnection. The decade of disconnection, a time when she says uh, that we have disconnected. We've disconnected, we've grown apart from each other, 
grown apart from the world, grown apart even from God. Uh, Let me give you a a quote um, from her. This is from her article. She says this, if we were packing a time capsule to capture the great disconnections of the last decade, it would contain only one item, a smartphone. At the beginning of the decade, a third of us owned one. By 2017, ownership had reached 85%, 95% amongst those aged 18 to 24. If anyone were to visit us from previous eras, they would assume these ubiquitous rectangles were portals to our gods. In a way, they are to icons, influencers, Instagram beauties. The dazzling goodies online can make real life seem pedestrian, achingly slow. And so the siren screen calls in bed, in the meeting, the lavatory, the cinema, the restaurant. Now, I am not here to say throw away your iPhone. They can be positively good, useful tools. I am just saying that these often give us a good diagnosis of what you and I are chasing after more than God. I think Claire Fogues is totally right. This here, it is a portal to my gods. For me, it's a portal to the idol of my work as I spend time on my emails on my phone. It's a portal to my idol of sport all the time I spend on the BBC Sport website. It's a portal to the idol of my children through all the things that I look at on here connected to them. These false gods, they become apparent what they are through this portal. All good things, but things which can become more important than God and which our hearts need reordering as a result of. Someone admitted to me that this happened to him earlier this week. He's given me permission to tell the story. He occasionally struggles with the idol of sex and so occasionally uses porn. And after going for a run, listening to music earlier this week, uh, he got into the shower, leaving his Bluetooth headphones outside of the bathroom. And regrettably, he was tempted to look at some porn on his phone whilst he was in the shower. Now, there he is. He's thinking he can keep this sin hidden from his wife with the sound off on his phone as he watches it in the shower. But actually, due to the wonders of Bluetooth, the sound is coming out from whatever he's viewing all too clearly on his headphones, which he has left outside the bathroom door, which his wife then picks up as she walks past the bathroom. Now, every single one of us here, we will all have our false gods. Work, sex, children, sport. And these portals are phones. All too often, they show us what they are. For others, it may be other things than this. It may be be all the the extensive time spent looking at all the fashion and clothing apps. It might be the extensive time spent looking at the estate agent websites. It might be the extensive time spent scrolling through the dating apps. And underneath whatever it is that these portals diagnose for each of us, underneath it all is the problem of our double-minded hearts. Our hearts being pulled in two directions at the same time like Mr. Muddle. So, if our problem for all of us, if our problem is our double-minded hearts, what is God's promise that we read about in these verses this morning? His promise in the face of this problem. Well, look at verse 37, the next verse. Uh, Look at that to begin with. God says, verse 37, he says, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. 
Now notice first in that verse, notice that God does not hide from the fact that he has disciplined his people because of his right anger and wrath at their double-minded hearts. But his promise is that despite that discipline, he still loves them and he will gather these people back to himself. Those who have gone off into exile, into Babylon, they will be brought back. And certainly history tells us that is what happened. That prophecy, it is fulfilled. The king of Babylon, who'd attacked Jerusalem in 587 BC, the people went into exile in Babylon, but then 50 years later, the people returned to Judah. They were brought back. But here's the question. Were God's people, were they in safety forevermore, like it says at the end of that verse? I don't think so. Or look down to verse 40, would you? Look at verse 40. What does God say in verse 40? He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. This seems to be going, doesn't it, way beyond a mere return of a group of people to a particular bit of geographical land. It seems to be talking about something far more wonderful and far more permanent, everlasting, never, never. You see, the return from exile that was being spoken about. It wasn't so much about a return to a place, Jerusalem, in 530 BC. But it was more about people returning, not to a place, but returning to a person, returning to the Lord God himself. And this everlasting covenant that's spoken about there in verse 40 and spoken about more in the previous chapter of Jeremiah, it is quoted or alluded to 10 times in the New Testament. This new covenant, which we now know in light of the New Testament, it is fulfilled through Jesus' death on the cross. Think of Jesus as he conducts the Passover meal with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. He says words I'm going to say in communion a little bit later. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So you see, where the problem for you and me is our double-minded hearts. The promise is God's new covenant that is accessed through Jesus' death on the cross. And that is a promise for every single one of us who is trusting in Jesus' death on the cross. It is a promise of an end to our exile from God. It is the promise for us of a return, not to a place, but a return to a person. A return for you and me to God himself and to an experience of intimacy and relationship and closeness and forgiveness and the permanent dwelling of God's spirit within us. It is the most amazing promise. Think back to the person in the shower with the Bluetooth headphones outside of the bathroom. How did his wife react on hearing the noises coming out from the headphones? He said in his mind, he had laid out all sorts of punishments for himself. You know, ways that their relationship should suffer because of his sin. But instead, his wife, what did his wife do? She just said she forgave him. She even found the headphone situation rather funny. She told him she still loved him. Now the wife's reaction, it was wonderful. But it was not nearly as wonderful as this new everlasting covenant that God makes for each one of us. For whilst her patience, it would tire if this person kept on committing the the same sin time and time again, God says his new covenant with us, it is everlasting. The promise from God, verse 38, is that they will be my people and I will be their God forever. 
The promise from God is that, verse 40, God will never stop doing good to us. He will never stop it. There is nothing more wonderful. There is nothing more all-encompassing and more heartwarming than that. God's new covenant to you and I, available through Jesus' death on the cross. And so in the light of that wonderful promise of a new covenant with God through Jesus' death on the cross, what is the prayer? What is the prayer? The prayer for you, the prayer for me, for, for HTC as a whole for this coming year. Well, have a look at our verse, the verse that the lady sent me in the email. Verse 39, God says, I will give them singleness of heart and action." so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. It's a prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer that we might live out being people of this new covenant, that we might live it out by accepting God's gift to us of singleness of heart and action. That's what God says at the start of that verse, I will give them singleness of heart and action. So often we have doubleness of heart. We've seen that. We've got the Mr. Muddle syndrome trying to go in two directions. And the solution is not you and I striving in our own strength to be single-minded for God and his purposes, but rather it is saying to God, God, I receive your gift. God, help me by the power of your spirit at work in me. Help me to be someone with singleness of heart as you, God, change my heart by your spirit. In Ezekiel, where it, another of the Old Testament prophets, where Ezekiel, God also talks about this new covenant. God, uh, God, the phrase God uses there is not singleness of heart, but about giving us an undivided heart. It's the same idea. Our heart not being divided by being pulled in two directions. God changes our hearts by his spirit so that we have a singleness of heart, so that we have an undivided heart that isn't being pulled in two. And then God says in our verse, what does he say? He says, I will give them singleness of heart and action. Now, most translations actually say, I will give them singleness of heart and way. That word, action, way, it means a direction, a way, a journey. It's saying, let's all be on the same page. Let's all be journeying in the same direction, a singleness of direction, the same way. Just like on this day of Epiphany, when we remember the wise men, they all journeyed the same way to Jesus. And so for us as a whole church, I think this is such a powerful thing for us to be praying for ourselves and as us as a whole church, that we might have a singleness of heart and action. Let me apply this specifically in two ways as I close. The first is the importance of our church weekend away. 300 of us already booked on, which is wonderful, 15th to 17th of May. If you're not yet booked on, can I encourage you to book on? Because out of the whole year this year, the best place where we can all, as a whole church, journey together the same way is on the church weekend. We have a whole weekend all together across our four services to journey in the same direction. And Simon Ponsonby, who's such a brilliant speaker, Simon's going to be speaking on a reordering of our hearts. He's going to be speaking on that singleness of our hearts, having an undivided heart. In fact, just speaking very practically for a second, I've been told if you want to pay by installments rather than having to pay the whole whack all at once, you need to book by Wednesday. So please do get on and book by Wednesday. As I say, we've got 300 people already booked on. We're down to our last 50 rooms available, so please do book fast. And if you need a bursary, please do just have a word with me. 
And then the second way I want to imply, uh, apply this idea of us having a singleness of heart and action is with this service. I've already communicated quite a bit about it already, so I'm not going to say loads. But on this first Sunday, when we have made changes to the 9.30 service, where we've drawn together a group of 25 adults and 15 children from the 11 to come to the 9.30 as well in the first instance, there are going to be some things that feel different for all of us. Where it won't feel like the old 9.30 service for those who've been part of this service for a long time. Where for those from the 11 a.m. service, it won't feel like the current 11 a.m. service. Yet our prayer is that this new format of service at the 9.30, that it can be something where all of us increasingly have a singleness of way, a singleness of direction, a singleness of action as we make this way and as we journey all together, praying that through this service it will draw more and more people to come to know Jesus. As I close, God gives you and I All who are trusting in Jesus' death on the cross, he gives us this singleness of heart. But not only that, not only does God give us a singleness of heart, but God's heart itself. God's heart, his heart, his heart is singly, exclusively devoted to your good and my good. Look at verse 41, the last verse that Nikki read, just as I close. Verse 41 says, God speaking, he says, I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. All God's heart is singly put towards your good and my good. And we see that above all at the cross. Let's pray. Lord God, would you work in each of us by your spirit? Would you change our double-minded hearts to be single-minded and undivided? And we thank you for this relationship with you that is possible for all because of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.